Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Are you guys enjoying this weather? I think we're out of the triple digit. Woo-hoo! 99 degrees though yesterday. Cooling trend though today, 95. Yes. Yes, that's why I've got my long pants on today. Got a little chilly out there, you desert rats, you. Great to have you with us. Uh, so let me ask you this, uh, any Denver Bronco fans in the house? Oh, right back over here. How about, uh, how about Cardinal fans? Cardinal fans? Okay. Okay, we're going to spend our time this morning praying for the Cardinals, okay? In fact, we titled the message just for them, Fiery Trials. Did you see that? Because I'm afraid it's going to be a fiery trial. So, hey, that's... Uh... Oh, gee. I asked for it, didn't I? Where's our security? You're going to need a lot of security for this guy. Hey, we got a great uh, study for us this morning. Um, good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 19. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World, Fiery Trials number three. Why number three? Because uh, as we've been working our way through 1 Peter, this is uh, our third with the title, Fiery Trials. Here's the thesis statement. We talked about this, if you can remember that far back when we kicked off this teaching series on Easter weekend. Uh, this was the thesis statement for this study. It's on the, it should be on your notes there in front of you. Life is a fiery furnace that can either burn you to a crisp or refine you as pure gold. Two people, same circumstances, Yet one becomes bitter, cynical, jaded, less trusting, weakened character, no compassion, and the other, the other comes out better, not bitter, but better, more positive, seasoned, greater faith, stronger character, deeper love. Why is that? We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Identical circumstances, two different responses, two different outcomes as they respond to it. Why is that? There is a saying that the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. It's not the, it's not the sun, it's not the fiery trials, it's not the circumstances. Listen to that. It's not, it's not your circumstances. It's not your circumstances that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's, it's, it's what you're saying to yourself about your circumstances. It's, it's your response, it's your attitude about those circumstances. It is not the sun, the fiery trials, the circumstances, but it's the internal chemical structure of each substance. What are you made of? What are you made of? Now, in this series, we've been talking about wholeness, finding wholeness or holiness. Those words are synonymous. We've been using them synonymously. Here's a quote from Gospel Transformation Bible as it relates to this letter, 1 Peter. Hardship and holiness are the twin themes of this letter. Holiness and hardship are inextricably connected. Because of the way the Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, Peter not only sees holiness 
as necessary for enduring hardship. He sees hardship as a way the Spirit makes us holy. You guys, you guys get that? So, so you need wholeness, holiness to get through hardship, but hardship is what produces or helps to, to develop the, the wholeness and the holiness in your life. So they work together. That's what, that's what first... Peter is all about, wholeness in, in a broken world. Now, here's my heart for you. This is my heart for everyone that would call Desert Breeze their church home, and even those that come, come and go through here, is that you would be like the three Hebrew dudes in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember the story? These dudes are facing a fiery furnace because... Because they're told to bow down to the golden image, they refuse to. So King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says, okay, whoever doesn't bow down, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. You guys remember their attitude? So, said, so this is what I want for us. This is what I want. When we face the fiery trials, we have the attitude, bring it on. That's, that was their attitude. And when you read this, this is what they, they basically said. They said, hey, listen, we don't have to pay attention to you. We don't have to listen to you because we, we serve the one true living God and he can save us. He will save us. Oh, and even if he doesn't save us, we find such deep, durable delight in the beauty and the glory of our God. We trust his loving, wise control of our lives because we know that he is better he is better than anything we face. That's their attitude. I love that. It's, 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 that, it's a Clint Eastwood kind of attitude. Go ahead, make my day. You know, it's just like, whatever. I, you, don't, you have no idea who you're dealing with because I serve the one true living God. I'm his child. He's going to take care of me. That was their attitude. So how do we get there? How do we get there? That's what this study is about. Um. And you can see on your notes, what are fiery trials? We need to define that, and I think the text does really a, a wonderful job for us in that. And then how should I respond? Because fiery trials will either make you or break you, but they will never, they will never leave you the same. And so it really comes down to, to our response. How am I going to choose to respond to the issues of my life? And so let's begin with a word of prayer before we dive into our text and unpack these notes. And what I'd like to do this morning is pray Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. And I know that there's a lot of people right now in our fellowship that are going through some fiery trials. And by the way, you're in one of three categories. You've either just gone through a fiery trial and you've come out, or you're in the midst of a fiery trial, or it's just a matter of time, you're going to go through one. It's just a matter of time. We will, we will all face fiery trials in life. And uh, so this is for you, this is for all of us, wherever you might be. God's here to meet with us this morning and to speak to our hearts, and we are desperate to hear from him. And uh, so I'd like to pray Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, and you'll see in a minute why that's such an important text. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 commands and compels us to fear not, because that's the first thing when we face fear, uh, fiery trials, we begin to fear. And you say, and you, comp you compel us, you command us to fear not, for you have redeemed us. You have called us by name. We are yours. When we pass through the waters, you will be with us. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm us. When we walk through the fire, we shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume us. For you are the Lord our God, our Savior. We proclaim that this morning. We celebrate that. So open 
open our eyes through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit to the wonderful reality of your loving, wise, powerful presence in our lives, giving us the wholeness, the holiness we so desperately need so that when we go through fiery trials, both large and small, that you would be put on display to be more satisfying to us than all that life could give or death could take away for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So here we go. Let me read the text, wonderful text. I won't comment much on this text as we work through it, but uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What's the first thing when we go through fiery trial? Like, why me? Why is this happening? He says, don't be surprised. Don't be taken off guard. And then check this contrast out. Not only not be surprised, but, but rejoice. We'll talk about that. Because if you're like me, when you read that, you're going, how could you rejoice in the midst of a fiery trial? And we're going to learn how to do that, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad. There's that word again, rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So he's telling us that there's, a, there's something about our, the gospel and about what we have in Christ that we can rejoice. We can rejoice even in the midst of our trials and our difficulties. He says, Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit, oh, this is sweet, this is sweet stuff right here, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. That's rich. I have the spirit of God that rests upon me, his glory. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. The people, you would live your life out in such a way, you'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would look at you and go, man, I, I want to know the God that you know because you're able to face this fiery furnace. I want to be able to face the fiery furnaces, so I want that because you're putting on display the glory of God. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, this judgment is different than the judgment that he brings to the world. He's going to talk about that in just a minute. But the judgment to the household of God is not punitive judgment. If you've put your faith in Christ, when he brings judgment to us, it's not punitive. It's not punishment. It's purifying. That's the intention of it. It's meant to increase your maturity and intimacy in him. And so, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us... <clears throat> What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, they, people that face the judgment of God apart from who Christ is and what Christ has done for us, uh, they're done, is what he's saying. It's, it's just over for them. It's not a good thing for them. And, uh, and if, the righteousness is scarce, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer fiery trials, suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And so, what are fiery trials? Let me give you the first fill in the blank. Number one, they are events in our lives that purify our faith. And you get that in verse 12, the word fiery trial, the Greek word is pyrosis, 
It sounds like the word purify, and it really means this. You can follow there on your notes. A refiner's fire, a fire that purifies, a fire into which you put the metal and it comes out pure. Now, if you get our DB app, you can download the messages through this series, but you'll want to go back to the first couple of messages that we did. This is uh, Fiery Trials 3, we did Fiery Trials 1 and 2, and it was the first few weeks of this series. But if you have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn back to the first chapter of First Peter, and I want to read to you a couple verses so that we have a better understanding of this purifying effect in our lives. Verses 6 and 7, chapter 1, 1 Peter, in this you rejoice. What is he talking about? In what? We rejoice in the gospel, we rejoice in the weight and the glory of God, that God is for us and not against us. We rejoice in all of that, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Isn't that interesting? He uses the word grief and rejoicing in the same verse, which tells us is that it is possible to have grief and yet rejoice they can be operating in your life synonymously. But check this out, verse 7. So you're, these various trials, you're grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Stop there just for a minute, look up here. Don't tell me, I mean you can, but don't tell me you're a believer and uh, praise God everything's going wonderful, skippity doo dah, skippity day, my oh my, what a wonderful day, and you've never gone through a trial to test that faith, because the true test of your faith is when you go through a fiery trial. You can tell me until you're blue in the face, yes, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, he's at the center of my life, guess what? The only way you'll really know is when all hell breaks loose in your life, and that will be the test of whether or not you really are a believer. That's what he's saying, he says it right here. Necessary, if you have grieved by various trials, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, what are you made of? Do you really have faith in him? Do you have a relationship with God? Because the test of that, and it's coming, will be the fiery trial. Now, I love what he says here. This is another really sweet part of the text. Because our faith, our relationship with God, our intimacy that we have in in him is more precious than gold. All the money in the world, all the gold in the world. Imagine being mega wealthy, billionaire, and he's saying that doesn't come close to our relationship we have with him. And if you think otherwise, it's because you're not living in the reality of what you have in him. Because it is like, he's just saying, this is more precious. This is amazing. If you have a connection with the eternal God of the galaxies, oh my goodness. And it's going to, oh, the fiery trials are going to test that. And then he goes on and talks about the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, that is your faith, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's something that happens in the midst of our fiery trials that it it tests our faith, and through that, as our faith is tested and it draws our hearts closer to him, we're gonna receive both in time and in eternity, I believe, is what it's saying here. It will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. As Christ is revealed through our lives, You're going to hear the applause of heaven as you are getting through the fiery trials, but even more so when you go from time into eternity, when you take your last breath on earth, first breath in heaven, you're going to hear the applause of heaven. You're going to hear your Savior go, well done, good and faithful servant. And the Bible even tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.17, a little bit of this, is he says, our light and momentary trials, 
I know that you wouldn't call it that right now because it doesn't seem too light and momentary, but he's saying our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If you could get a perspective of eternity and what God is up to, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't be getting so hammered by these fiery trials is what he's saying. And can you hear the applause of heaven? Can you understand what God is doing in your life? And so that's all part of it as he's purifying, purifying our faith. I heard the story a number of years ago of a silversmith, and he was asked, how do you know you've put the silver through the fire enough? And the silversmith said, I know when it has been through the fire enough and purified of its dross when I can see my face reflected in it. Isn't that fascinating? And that's what God does with us. He puts us through the fire until he can see his face reflected in us. Romans 8.28, how many would say that's, that's a pretty special verse? It's a very favorite verse of yours maybe, Romans 8.28. Okay, there's only like two of us in here. Maybe you don't know that verse. That's a big verse. That's an important verse. But I, I hear non-believers use that verse a lot too. Hey, everything's going to work out for my good. It's like, no, it won't. You know, uh, uh, and I, and, you know, I don't know where they get that. I don't know what they're basing it on. Well, what do you base that on? It just will. Who will? Who do you think? What, what is this about? And it's actually, so listen to what the verse says, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And it's really important you read these verses, uh, that you read it in the context. And so you've got to say, okay, those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what is his purpose? Here's his purpose, verse 29, that we would be conformed into the image of his son. So the stuff that's happening to your life, the fiery trials, there's purpose. It's not meaningless and random. Who do you think's in control? God's in control. He's sovereign. And he's, he's designed that for the purpose of producing a genuineness in your faith to draw your heart closer to him. He's working because he wants to be able to see his reflection in you. And that's, that's part of that. Now, see, your self-pity, your impatience, your complaining, your bitterness is evidence that you don't actually believe that. And you're not living in the reality of that. Now, listen to me. There's no other way. I wish there were. I wish there were another way where I could be purified and I'd have intimacy with him and God would get rid of all the dross in my life. There is no other way to get it done other than for you to go through a fiery trial. Whew, really? I was hoping I could just cram my cranium full of scripture and maybe that would help to do it. Well, you, you need scripture, there's no doubt about it. But it's not until you go through the crunch time, the difficulties, the hardship, the headaches, the hassles of life. And, and so he begins to really work in your life. Let me give you the next, uh, let me give you the next fill in the blank here. So here's it, here it is. What are the fiery trials? They are events in our lives that purify our faith. Here's the next point, number two. They purify our faith by revealing. Now before I move on and give you the three fill in the blanks here with that, let me build, build my case my argument, my logic here. We get this from verse 12 also. So we, I defined for you a fiery trial, but did you notice the three words to test you? Already kind of talked about that. But the Greek here means to prove, to show what you really are. What are you really made of? What are you really made of? James 1, 2 through 4. Heaven always particularly liked this verse because the way it starts off, James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he starts off the book by saying, count it all joy. 
when you encounter various trials, and he says, I mean, he's giving you this whole assortment of trials all the way from small to large. And he says, count it all joy. <laughs> oh, look at this. My car broke down on the freeway. <laughs> now, he, he's not saying that. That's a little weird. That's not the joy that he's talking about. And sometimes we, we don't even understand what joy is and we don't define it appropriately. So let me define joy for you. See if you understand. Well, what is the opposite of, of joy? Actually, people, most would say sorrow, but if you've hung out with us, it's not. It's, it's despair. It's hopelessness. Here's what joy is. Joy is a buoyancy in our life based on the pleasures we find in the eternal privileges of our Savior, primarily his presence that will never be taken from us. So it's this buoyancy. Yeah, life can push you down, but it can't keep you down because you find pleasure in the eternal privileges that he has provided for you. Not based on your performance, by the way. Yeah, but you don't know how jacked up my life is. Yes, I do know how jacked up your life is. I've hung around you. <laughs> and you've hung around me, and you know that I'm like you. We are desperate for our Savior. And so it's not based on my performance. Well, I didn't really live a good life, and so I don't deserve what? It's not about deserving. It's not about earning. It's not about achieving. It is finished. It's a done deal. You have his presence. You have his power. You have his peace. And it's not based on your performance one way or the other. It's based on what he's already done once and for all. It's an immediate status change that happens when you put your faith in Christ, never to be taken from you. That's the gospel. So that's why we can rejoice even in the midst of difficulties. Rejoice when you encounter various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, so let perseverance have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, not lacking in anything. Three Hebrew dudes, that's what he's working in your life. He wants you to be able to stand face to face with the fiery trial and say, go ahead, make my day. My God's so much bigger. And so as you live in the reality of that your God's bigger, the reason why you're overwhelmed by your trials is because you, you have a very small view of, of your God who's for you and not against you. And so the more you begin to be captivated and overtaken by the beauty and the glory of this God who created us and loves us and gave his life for us, to that degree, it's going to shrink your fiery trials. You're just going to go, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. And so there's a completeness that he's working in my life and a, and a maturity and a greater level of intimacy. Romans 5, 1 through 5, he says, we rejoice. There's the word again. We rejoice in our sufferings. By the way, the opposite or the counterfeit to uh, this joy is an elation in the gifts rather than the gift giver. So we tend to confuse the gifts that he gives us versus the, the gift giver. So we get more excited about what we get from God rather than to be with God. And listen, it's all about being with him and knowing him and experiencing him in our lives. So he says, we rejoice in our sufferings because our sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces character, character, hope, and hope does not... Uh, does not put us to shame. This is good. This is sweet the way he finishes it in the verse, verse 5 of Romans, uh, where am I? Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, and it does not put us to shame because he pours his love into our heart by his Holy Spirit. There's those moments in our life where we just have that sense of that sweetness of his love on our heart. 
And so that gives us that, that ability to just continue to navigate and work through the issues of our lives. It's just fascinating what God does in our lives. It's just, it's almost overwhelming at times. I mean, when we, I mean, it, it tears me up. I mean, when I even think about it, I'm just almost overwhelmed with the emotion of our God, our, our great God, and how much he loves us. And even when we go through the difficulties of life. And so, uh, okay, so let me talk to you a little bit about this metal ore. Metal ore contains both pure and impure. So let's, let's kind of walk through this process here. So metal ore contains both pure and impure. It is, it's, combined with pure and impure, metal and dross, and under normal conditions, normal temperatures, you can't tell one from the other. They're both intertwined. So if, if you place metal ore into a fire, it creates a condition that separates the pure from the impure. So there's this separating, and the pure can handle the fire, but the impure cannot. Usually the impure will get burned up or at least come to the surface, and then they can scrape it off, and they can take it out of our lives. So here's your next fill in the blank. So so what are fiery trials? They are events in our lives that purify our faith. They purify our faith by doing what? So this is what you need to know. So as you're going through the fiery trial, you need to be aware of this. And they, they reveal what I'm really trusting in. They begin to reveal what I'm really putting my trust in. Now, so the same is true spiritually as with metal ore. We all have divided hearts things alongside with God that we trust in, and you have no idea what they are until fiery trials threaten, block, or destroy these counterfeit gods, this dross. You don't know what's going on down there until the, fiery hot, the, the hot fire's turned up, the stuff begins to come to the surface, and you realize that you're putting more trust in how your kids turn out or in your, the security of your bank account or your job or how this relationship is going as opposed to the one true and living God. But you don't know that until you go through the fiery trials. And so what it does, it begins to reveal not only what you're really trusting in, but the inadequacy, that's the next fill in the blank, the inadequacy of what I'm trusting in. Now, if you can remember this next thought, this is what I, I teach regularly around here, and this is how I'm able to identify what I'm trusting in rather than God. I can say that I'm trusting in God, but functionally, oftentimes, I'm, tr I'm trusting in a lot of other things. And this is how I'm able to identify it, is that anything you love, hope, and trust in more than God will cause, will cause excessive anxiety when that thing that you are loving or hoping or trusting in more than God, when that thing is being threatened, it's gonna create excessive anxiety. It's gonna create bitterness when that thing is being blocked and it will create despair when lost. Now, I had someone uh, in, in our game of life this last week, uh, this gal's a nurse and she said that I had taught, taught us something that was really helpful, taught her something. And it was making a, dis making a distinction between uh, sorrow and despair. And then she was actually able to share that with a patient and help this patient kind of work through the, the losses and the hits that they were taking. So this is what I want you to do. Turn to the people around you. See if you know the difference. What is the difference between sorrow and despair? There's a major difference between the two, particularly when you're going through the fiery trials. Because you can have one of those two different responses. Real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you.
Okay, you guys getting that figured out? So here, let me give you a quick definition. So sorrow, listen to me, sorrow is what happens when you lose a good thing. You lose your job, you lose a relationship, you know, someone walks out on you. It's okay to be sorrowful. You need to be sorrowful. So when you, uh, sorrow is when you lose a good thing. Despair is when you lose an ultimate thing. You have said to yourself about that thing that I can't live without that. It's my source of meaning and security and significance and therefore your emotional response will indicate that. It's pegging. You're not just sorrowful, you're in despair. There's a major difference between the two in your response to to the fiery trials. And I saw this, particularly back in 2008 and 2009 uh, with the downturn economy, I saw people who were losing homes and cars and jobs and all of this, and I saw the different responses. I saw some people were sorrowful, and yet they were consolable and moved on. But I saw others were in despair and even some that were suicidal because that was their life. And, you know, with some of those, I actually heard people say, I did not realize, and even those that were in sorrow as they were kind of working through that, they began to realize, and this is what they said, I did not realize that my job, my money, my home was more than my job, my money, my home. It was my identity. It was my security. It was my significance. And uh, it, it wasn't until I went through that fiery trial that I realized that because I freaked out. I flipped out. My response was an indicator of the fact that I had built my life on these things as opposed to building my life on the true and living God. And uh, here's the irony. Here's what I see. If you can get this, this will be really helpful to you. But I see people shake their fist at the true and living God. I can't believe... They shake their fist at the true and living God because he won't give them their counterfeit God. Do you you see the irony of that? Well, the reason why I'm not a Christian is because, well, I did all these things and and, and is this what you get? Is this what the Christian life is like? Whoa, 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 time out. Whoa, you missed God. He's better than anything you could ever get from him. Do you understand that? Oh, my goodness. You're shaking your fist at the living God. By the way, that's moralism. That's moralism. I did all the right things, therefore, I'm entitled. Listen, if you got what you deserve, yeah, my brother goes, poof. There'd be a crater and smoke. And you would be nowhere to be found. The Bible's clear about that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. The Bible's very clear about that. So don't ever ask for, you know, God, I want justice. No, 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 no. (laughs) Don't do that. That's scary. At least don't do that while I'm around you. Okay? God, I want justice. No, 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 listen. You don't. 
And because of the cross and because of God, he gives us grace and mercy. And we have his presence. And if all hell breaks loose in your life from this point on until you go to be with him, he is more than enough. And his love is better than life. That's the reality of the Bible. Listen, this is the stuff that will get you through the hard times. There's a lot of cotton candy being preached in our culture today because it's good old God bless America. Everybody wants to feel good. And oh, skippity doo skippity day. That's not going to get you through the trials. It's not going to get you through the trials. This is the kind of stuff that gets you through the trials. He is more than enough. He will satisfy your soul unlike you've ever experienced before. That's a fact. That's what the Bible teaches. I've experienced it. I don't experience it near enough. But that's what I want. That's what I want for you. Three Hebrew dudes. He can. He will. If he doesn't, I got him. I got him. If I have him, that's more than enough. And so that's what you see. You see this throughout Scripture. You see this in the book of Acts. And uh, and you see it with a lot of... uh, In fact, all the disciples really were martyred because of that, and you could see as they stood up to the persecution, and these people are being persecuted, certainly, so he's wanting us to see, hey, what are you made of? And so, okay, so let me give you, uh, let me give you some fill-in-the-blanks. I've already given you all, I got one more fill-in-the-blank to give you, so here it is, the importance of putting my trust in God. So this is what it's doing. So when it's crunch time, and I'm flipping out, freaking out, whatever's going on, all that is is that that's an indicator that you have misplaced your trust, love, identity. Um, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but shouts to us in our pain, C.S. Lewis. What is he shouting to us? This is what he's shouting to us. To the degree that you can't take the heat is God trying to say, hey, listen, listen to me. You're freaking out. You're stressed out. You're inordinately anxious and angry. Listen, the only safe place on this fallen planet is with me, with me being at the center of your life. That's, that's what he's whispering to us. Make me the love of your life. You don't love and hope and trust in me enough, and that's why life feels hopeless and meaningless right now. Put your hope and love and trust in me. I will give you a joy that transcends the fiery trials. Hudson Taylor puts it this way. It's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. Let it press you near the heart of God. So fiery trials will either make you or break you, but they will never leave you the same. So how do we do that? How do we trust God in the midst of it? He gives us, I'm going to give you five things right here. What does that trust look like? Before I do that, let me read to you a story. I want to give you just a tad more challenge if I I haven't been challenging enough. So here we go. It's an interesting story. It's it's about Dr. Viktor Frankl. He he wrote the book a number of years ago, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a psychotherapist. And uh, Dr. uh, Viktor Frankl was the bold, courageous Jew who became a prisoner during the Holocaust. In fact, he went through the the Auschwitz, which was one of the most severe prison camps. Actually, a survivor of that. And uh, he endured years of indignity and humiliation by the Nazis before he was finally liberated. And uh, at the beginning of his ordeal, he was marched into the Gestapo uh, courtroom. His captors had taken away his home 
and family, his cherished freedom, his possessions, even his watch and wedding ring. They had shaved his head and stripped him his clothing, stripped his clothing off, off of his body. And there he stood before the German high command under the glaring lights being interrogated and falsely accused. He was destitute and a helpless pawn in the hands of a brutal, prejudiced, sadistic men. He had nothing. No. No, that's not true. He suddenly realized there was one thing no one could ever take from him. Just one. Do you know what it was? Dr. Frankel realized he still had the power to choose his attitude. No matter what anyone would ever do to him, regardless of what the future held for him, the attitude choice was his to make. Bitterness or forgiveness, to give up or to go on, hatred or hope, determination to endure, or the paralysis of self-pity. It boiled down to Frankel and his attitude. And if that is true about a man that doesn't know Christ, even more so is that true about those of us that proclaim the name of our Savior. I mean, and so here's the deal. At some point, at some point, you've got to quit nursing, cursing, and rehearsing and embrace God fully in the midst of what you're going through. And you've got to move on, move on down the road, begin to have an attitude, and begin to respond to your circumstances from a biblical perspective. He's giving us the resources, so how do we do that? Here it is, number one, respond from your identity. Don't forget your identity. It is finished. It's a done deal. He says, beloved, that is, that is true both vertically. I am God, the creator's beloved. He adores me. Not only that, I need to have that reinforced horizontally. So he's saying it in two ways, both vertically, but also horizontally. You're my beloved. And I need to have people in my life that say that. Hey, I love you. And by the way, I want to remind you, you got a God, the creator adores you and loves you. So we need that, that community. We need that sense of community where we got people in our corner that are helping us with that. Why is this important? Why would he start off this talking about fiery trials and say, beloved, beloved? Because the first thing we do when we go through fiery trials is that we question God's love for us. It's the first thing. Oh, he doesn't love me. He must not love me. And yet he's saying, wait, 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 you're beloved. He adores you. What more acceptance, security, and significance could you possibly want or need than for the creator of the universe to adore you and give his life for you? That's a fact. The greatest love you could ever know is in him. See, this should create a sense of wonder that can't be overwhelmed by suffering. When he says in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. When you read that and you understand the, the Greek, he's actually, he's just overwhelmed. He, he can't even put it into words. He used idiom, it's an idiomatic kind of phrase, and they, the translators didn't even know how to put it down. It, it, because there's that sense of wonder. And so if you're living in reality of what Christ has done for you, there will be a sense of wonder that not even suffering can take away from you. 
That's why he starts off with this beloved. So by the way, so that's, so every day when you, when your feet hit the floor, the first thing that should come to mind, I am adored by the maker of the galaxies. He loves me. He gave his life for me. And, and I could say that until I'm blue in the face sometimes, and it'll take me, take me a couple days of saying that where before it goes where I have a sense of that on my heart, where it actually begins to make a, a difference in how I respond and how I do life. So we need that desperately. We need that a lot. Um, every parent here, and if, even if you're not a parent, you've worked with kids before, as a parent you know that there is no way to turn little children, little midget demons into mature adults without them constantly accusing you of cruelty. Isn't that true? You know, you, you're just trying to get them to brush their teeth. They don't want to brush their teeth. You've got to give them like bubblegum toothpaste to get them to do that. And then they're eating the toothpaste. You know, or whatever. It's just... It's just crazy. Or you take them to the doctor. You want them to eat their carrots and broccoli. Or you're wanting to help them. So, so if there is a God, of course he would know things that, that I can't know about what's best for me. If there is a God, then he would know things that I can't know of what is best for me. And sometimes it's going to feel like God is killing you when in reality, he is saving you. He's rescuing you. But you need to have that eternal perspective. You need to understand what the Bible teaches. You can trust God in suffering, not because, not because you can see his hand in your circumstances, but because, but because you can see his heart on the cross. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. On Jesus Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You are beloved. You are beloved. Get rid of your puny view of God. When, when you come to Desert Breeze, I want you to walk out of here with a sense of wonder and majesty. It ain't about me. It ain't about anybody here. It's all about him. And the best thing that could happen to you is, is for you to be overtaken by his majesty and his glory. And I'll tell you what, when I have those times in my life, bring on the trials because it doesn't matter I've got him. Here's the next point. So don't be surprised. I mean, immediately, we, that's verse 12. He says, do not be surprised. That's a command. The Bible never promises us a painless or problem-free life. In fact, I had someone tell me that just this last week. He said, that was so helpful for me. And I say that probably about a half dozen times here a year. So listen to me. You need to get this. The Bible, God never promised us a painless or problem-free life. So why are you surprised? But he did promise us this. He promised us his presence, his peace, and his power in the midst of whatever we're facing, that it will be enough. It'll be enough for us as we go through that. Um, so do not be surprised. John 16, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. 
you'll have problems. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have hassles. You're going to get the heck beat out of you. That's what he's saying. And yet he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Psalm 34, 19, he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Hey, there's a good uh, little slogan to put on our coffee cups. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Praise God. I'm claiming that promise this day, today. <laughs> Praise God. No, that's not one you'd pull out of a promise box. They wouldn't even put it in the promise box, would they? But, but if you read the rest of that, he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So grief will never destroy you, but surprise, despair, unrealistic expectations will. How do you know that you're surprised? There's a couple emotional responses that will tell you that you're in surprise is self-pity and bitterness. Self-pity is, is and, and bitterness too, is kind of playing the God, uh, God gig. You know, you're trying to play God, but self-pity is uh, kind of the flip side of this idea called pride. Pride comes in a couple different forms. One is that it comes through uh, boasting. I deserve admiration because of, how much I've, uh, because of how much I've accomplished. Look at me, everybody. And there's that boasting side of pride. And then there's the self-pity side of pride. It's the flip side of the coin. And it's I deserve admiration because of how much I've suffered. Self-pity. That's pride. It's self-absorption. Oh, by the way, we're kind of the last ones to realize that we're self-absorbed too. Did you notice that? We're the last ones to know that. And so we've got that. We've got self-pity. We've got bitterness. It, it certainly shows that we're surprised because here's the deal. Deep down, we cling to the simplistic, shallow idea that if we are good, life will go well. It's untrue. If I do all the right things and my life will go well, yeah, there is a sowing and reaping. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but there's, there's something happening it's much broader than that. That's too superficial and shallow because we live in a fallen world. That's the doctrine of a fallen world. You can get in your car, leave church, and somebody's been getting drunk watching early morning football. They get in their car and they come over a few lanes and crash into you and kill everybody in your car. When I was in the fire department, I saw that kind of stuff. And you went to church. You dropped money in the box. You're trying to raise your kids appropriately. That kind of stuff happens. We live in a fallen world. Oh, there's also the doctrine of Satan. We have an adversary. He's coming after you. And so you've got to take that into consideration. So you can do all the right things and still experience. So don't, don't get moralistic on us and say, well, you read your Bible, you're praying, you're, you're rebuking the devil. You, and you can do all of that and still have all hell break loose in your life. Job, Jesus, even more so Jesus. Look at him. And so that's, that's the point. That's very moralistic, by the way. That's, that's a moralistic perspective. Okay, here's the, here's the best part of this. Besides the first, but here's the next one. Rejoice in God's presence. This is the best part of the Christian life. Oh, and I wish I did this more. I wish I knew how to do this. You guys know this. I am so crazy ADD that the first service, I totally lost track. And if you watch me up here, I lose track of where I am half the time. It's like, where am I? And where am I on the notes? And so I just, my attention, you know, just then somebody was crunching their Bible or their, their bottle up here in the front. Don't do that anymore. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. But I was thinking, I was sitting down on something. I was like, immediately I was thinking, my, my pants just rip out or, you know, so that my thoughts went there and then I had to come back and say, okay, where am I right now? And, uh, and so there's all these, all these distractions. And so all I'm saying 
All I'm saying, what am I saying? Uh, I'm saying right here, notice what it says in verses 13 through 14, but rejoice because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. So it's one thing to know the omnipresence of God. It's another thing to have the sweetness of his presence on your heart. So he's telling us something. So there's something about rejoicing and how we do that. And I gave you some uh, verses. Uh, Psalm 16.2. Let me just read a couple here. We're almost finished. 16.2, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And then he jumps down to verse four. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So he's giving us a diagnosis, a diagnosis of that when my heart to the degree I experience sorrows, to the degree that I have a collapsing God, that I've overattached my heart to something that's not working out for me. And so he talks about that, and then he gets really to the heart of the problem here. And these were some verses that I shared with my sister when she was going through a hard time, when she was in the hospital. It's 16.8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So it's just not just some general idea that he's omnipresent. There's a sense of his presence on your heart. And then it goes down to the end of that, and he says, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. So when was the last time that you were still and knew that he was God? 46.10 of Psalm. Be still and know that he is God. And that word know is not just know about, but to experience the presence of God it doesn't happen near enough, and like I said, when I do that, I've got all these lists of things I need to do, and sometimes it could take me, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, two hours, sometimes it takes me days, sometimes I never get there. But the Bible says, step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God. That's the message, that's what it says. So when was the last time that you had such a delight in God, and you begin to see this, this view of God that was so overwhelming and brought such delight and pleasure that you were ready to face anything. I spend my Sabbath trying to do that. My wife and I will start, kind of our start our Sabbath on Thursday night, we go over to this house of prayer. My friend is a pastor over here, and so we just go in there. It, it took me 30 minutes just to get calibrated just to figure out where I am. I mean, in that environment. So all I, this is what I'm saying. If I can do it, you can do it. This is not some hard thing, but what we've got to do, we've got to turn the TV off, the radio off, all this stuff, all this clutter in our life, and just spend some time focused on him. Focused on him. And this is what it means. This is what it looks like. It is, um, it is rejoicing. Rejoicing means to treasure something by assessing its value to you, reflecting on its beauty and importance until you taste the sweetness of it and you rest in it and you begin to release your grip on anything you think you can't live without. You just, you be, you, there's a song, there's a beautiful song that we sang growing up and turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face. And what does it say? And the things of this world will do what? Grow strangely dim in the what? In the light of, of his glory and grace, oh my goodness, I need that. I need that daily to be able to face the issues of my life. Here's the next one, obey God's word. So rejoice in God's presence, obey God's word, but, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And I think it's on your notes, but basically the idea here is beware of escape sins. Now we have the escape sins. When, we, when, when it comes to crunch time, we have these coping mechanisms. Um, 
mine, I like to eat sweets. I'm a sweet eater. I love sweets, but I've had to really back off and really work on that. But I had to also ask myself, why am I going to that? Why do I do that? What is yours? Overeat, oversleep, overdrink, overwork, workaholism. That's what he's saying. These are escape sins. Rather than allowing Christ to meet you in the fiery trial, you're masking it. You're dealing with it inappropriately, and that's why, what he wants. Now, this is the sowing and reaping law, and so I want to encourage you, Galatians 6, 7 through 9, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man sow, uh, reaps what he sows. Sow to the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Don't throw in the towel. When you go through difficulties, I know you're going to feel totally out of touch with God, but you keep doing what is right, because if you don't grow weary and well-doing, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. That's the promise. Yeah, but I'm not getting anything out of my Bible study. Well, you're certainly not going to get anything out of your Bible study if you don't do your Bible study, okay? So don't, you know, don't stop doing your Bible study. Keep doing your Bible study. Keep doing what you know you should be doing. You'll get through it. Keep going. That's the idea here. Don't quit. And then last one, entrust yourself to God. Trust yourself to God. Entrust, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust means to make a deposit. You only deposit your money in a bank that is insured and that you are sure of. Um, I'm going to be depositing myself in my straddle lounger after the Cardinals beat up on the Broncos and I'm not going to be able to rest because of that. It doesn't matter which way that game goes, but I'm going to be able to do that because, and that's what that idea means to entrust. You just rest. I'll do a little power nap for 15, 20 minutes, and I'll get back up. And that's, that's what he's saying. Trust, entrust, give your life to me. I've got everything covered. I'm, I'm perfect in love. I'm infinite in wisdom. I'm unlimited in my power. I'm working in your life. That's the idea. Now, why, why can you trust God with your life? Psalm 9, 9 through 10. Because he is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know his name, know his character, will trust in him because he has never forsaken those who seek him. So the more you get to know him, the more you will trust him. So if you're not trusting him and resting, it's because you don't know him. And the man that would know God must give time to him. So you spend time getting to know him. You get, him, get to know him through his word. 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, as a newborn babe long for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And you also do that through the work of the Holy Spirit. His spirit must bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So there should be these moments where God, you feel like God is sweeping you up into his arms and he is hugging you as you're studying his word. And that's part of his spirit bearing witness with our spirit. Here's what you will discover when you do that. None of the other religions of the world have what we have. We have a Savior that not only suffered for us, but suffers with us. Look at the last point. Bold letters, because Jesus went through your greatest fiery furnace for you, the cross, he'll certainly be in your smaller furnaces with you. That's a fact. Now, this is what we're going to do. How many would say, show of hands, you're going through a fiery furnace and you could use some help this morning. Show of hands. Raise them up. Okay, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Now I want you to stand up right where you are. If you raised your hands, stand up, stand up, stand up. Stand up. Okay, this is what we're going to do. All of you that are still sitting, do you see all of these that are standing? There's a lot. 
See if you can huddle around them. I don't want anybody to be missed out. Go ahead and stand up. The rest of you stand up and gather around these folks. Pick out a few folks. Get around them and put your hand on their shoulder or their back. Reach out to them. Gather around them. Here's how we're going to end our time. This is what I want those of you that raised your hand. What I want you to know. Listen to me. God is for you and not against you. And not only is he for you and, against, and not against you, you've got a community of people that are in your corner cheering you on as you face that fiery trial. Anybody not get covered? Everybody have someone around them? Even those of you that are just gather up. Here we go. Let's pray. God, we are, we are overwhelmed by your truth this morning. It is so unbelievably compelling and it has nurtured our souls and our hearts. We shall know the truth. The truth brings freedom. It is bringing freedom to people's lives this morning unlike ever before. I know that, God. I know you're working in our lives. I pray for each person this morning that raised their hands and said they're going through a fiery trial. God, let them know that you are close to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. May they have a sense of your presence on their heart this next week unlike ever before. May they begin to walk out these principles that we talked about. Maybe they grab their notes and begin to walk and begin to pray through these. May they, each one of us, continue to see that the, the events of our life, the fiery trials are purifying our faith and revealing what we're really trusting in so that we can have opportunity to put our trust in you. Help us to respond from our identity and not be surprised and know that your grace is sufficient and, and may we learn how to rejoice in your presence and obey your word as we entrust ourselves to you, to your loving, wise control of our lives so that when people look at our lives, they would infer from our lives that you are more satisfying and more desirable than all that life could ever give us or death could ever take away. We pray these things in your glorious name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Hey, if you're new with us, we'd love the opportunity to meet you. Come, feel free to come forward this morning. You guys have a great week.